everyone. Welcome to Manufacturing Hub. I am Dave. This guy up here is Vlad, and we have a very special guest, Kyle McMillan of Siemens, on to talk about all about uh, ITOT convergence and security. Kyle, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us and taking the time today, Kyle. Really looking forward to the conversation. Before we dive in maybe on the technical topics, could you give us a little bit of a background? How did you get started in industrial automation, manufacturing, and uh, what it is that you do uh, today? Okay, I'm gonna try not to wander too much on this one, but it's it's kind of been a long journey. Um, so I started as a computer engineer, electrical engineer out of West Virginia. Um, that's where I got my, my fundamental education. And basically by the time that I was done with a master's degree in electrical engineering, I wanted nothing to do with the industry. Uh, I had had some internships for some Northern Virginia defense contractors. I had worked um, uh, in a, a, a little bit of a research program. I was just burned out. And so a friend of mine said, hey, you know what? I, I worked over at the ski lift operation in Utah for a winter. You're, you're graduating in the summer. You got some time. Why don't you check it out? So that's what I did. I ran off and I was a lifty uh, for a season. And that was my first introduction to PLCs. As an electrical engineer, uh, my first cabinets that I ever saw, my first medium voltage drives, we're all attached to ski lifts. And whenever a ski lift went down, you had 300 people hanging on the line, freezing their butts off and somebody had to fix it. And that was our system integrator. At the bottom of the barrel lifty, I got to sit back and just drink coffee and watch. Um, but those were all uh, you know, fairly straightforward systems, but I realized how much customization goes into each and every uh, installation that's out there. Uh, you know, there's almost no such thing as a turnkey solution to a lot of these automation problems. Uh, whenever I got done with the ski lift gig, I looked around. Uh, I was living with my family in Oklahoma, and I love my family dearly, and I love Oklahoma dearly as well. But after a couple of months of that, I was ready to get right the heck out of the house. And I found a job in Johnson City, Tennessee, where they were asking for somebody uh, who could do work with Profinet. Uh, a field bus protocol that we all know and love, I'm sure. I interviewed for the job and I said, well, listen, I don't really know much about how you take a stochastic networking medium like Ethernet and turn it into a deterministic real-time uh, field bus. But if I can explain how a transistor works, I can explain how this works. And uh, I got the job. So for about six years, I worked on implementing Profinet stacks, technology uh, solutions, helping other vendors implement their own solutions. Vlad, on the wall back behind you are some products that I have personally touched um, or cursed at. Uh, and then I also got to certify a lot of those things. And in the course of doing that, I, I got to understand what the critical challenges really were in industrial automation and why we have things like field bus protocols that run over Ethernet and why we don't use standard TCP IP based networking and why HTTP is not the answer for everything and why you don't just open a RESTful API and call it the end of the day. Um, as I was working in Johnson City doing all of that, I got an opportunity to transition over into our cybersecurity group. We've got an R&D team based in Johnson City. They were looking for somebody to, to fit the role of a product and solution security expert. And again, I made that career hop and went right back over. 
and I was able to take a lot of training. There was a lot of investment uh, in me to develop me into a position where I could help improve the cybersecurity of our products that we developed in Johnson City. And now I also have some responsibility for other products within our, our big automation portfolio. Yeah, so that's the long and the short of it. I went to go work at a ski area because I was running away from being an engineer. And then I ended up doing cybersecurity engineering for the same problems that I was cursing the whole time. I, I really like that introduction, Kyle. I, you know, I want to recognize the fact that I think very few people in the industry have been on both sides of the fence, so to speak, right? So you made the transition from very traditional OT protocols and really understanding the networking side, as well as what the devices actually do, and then transition to the IT side. So I think that's uh, not an easy feat, first of all. Uh, but I, I do want to comment on, on a couple of things and ask you a couple of questions uh, along the way. So you mentioned, you know, one um, device which is controlling the ski lift. And I think people don't necessarily recognize a lot of the control systems that go into, I, I want to say like simple, but also these custom applications. I think one example that I remember was the, you know, the automated golf uh, kind of course that you could swing from. There was a Siemens, I think it's S7-1200 series that makes that possible. So there's a lot of these like little how to say it, things that we take for granted and you think, oh, it's just a couple of relays. But in reality, there's quite a bit of automation that goes into each one of those machines. So I, I think it's really cool. Again, I'm not, I, I'm always trying to figure out what something runs on. I know that um, another example, Chris Lukey, I think is a huge fan of roller coasters and a lot of that oh, industry yeah. runs. And, and I always look at the push buttons. I look at the, you know, the wiring that goes inside of the control the control panels and I try and figure out like what's actually running and what it's doing. But anyways, there's a lot of examples of that. So I wouldn't say it's trivial. There's a lot of interesting applications of that nature. I did want to ask you on the protocol side, where I guess if you could give us maybe a, how to say it, a, a brief overview as to why you want deterministic protocols like and I don't know if you want to mention like the industry or any application, obviously, without giving the names uh, of the companies. But I'm curious, like if you saw like very specific needs where, you know, something deterministic may, made a lot of sense and you just couldn't use a pure uh, like TCP IP uh, message. Sure. So, you know, the first thing whenever you talk about deterministic communications is always how deterministic is it? And in the automation sense, you really want to have tight control over not just your cycle times, just like you would for a scan time for your whole PLC. Whenever you get to the field bus, you want to have tight control over your, your cycle times on how you're communicating back and forth. And you also want to have really tight control over the jitter. Whenever you're doing closed loop control over your field bus from your PLC down to some field IO station, um, you've got to make sure that whenever your input process image updates in your PLC, that it's got current data. And if you've got too much jitter in your network, your scan cycles are going to get off sync and you're going to start aliasing your inputs basically. Um, so a lot of the applications where you want deterministic control, I said closed loop, and that's, that's kind of the key message. It starts thinking about motion control. And that can be with you know, classic drive applications where you're not just trying to set a speed set point, you're also trying to do maybe position control. So you're looking at encoders, you're looking at servos, um, you're trying to do things really fast. If you want 32 kilo samples per second, you've got to have a cycle time on your network of 31.25 microseconds. And that has to be there 
every time. Uh, so Ethernet is actually very good at doing that. The only problem is that whenever we introduce this idea of a common collision domain that we have in Ethernet, somebody's got to be an arbiter of the network so you can keep the jitter down. You know, with a collision domain, typically if two people transmit at the same time, there's a holdoff period, which can be randomized, and then people retransmit. So deterministic communication over an Ethernet network, if you really want tight stuff, uh, what in the Profinet world we would call IRT. It means modifying the switching and routing rules that govern the basic IEEE uh, you know, standard for Ethernet. And that's why you see specialized hardware for IRT communications and for that hard real-time um, protocol. But for a lot of things, you don't need that much performance. If you're running, for instance, a vision system and you're doing onboard analysis on the vision system, maybe you only need uh, you need it to chat with the PLC every eight milliseconds to let it know what's coming through. Uh, maybe 16 milliseconds is fine. You start being bounded by the inertia of the system that you're working with. So yeah, the magic under the hood is basically taking the IEEE rules for Ethernet and then expanding them. I love that breakdown, Kyle. I'll be honest with you. I've talked to a lot of experts in uh, mostly on the OT side and control systems and I think that not everyone can appreciate, you know, the the high speed applications simply because in certain industries you just don't have the opportunity to see them, right? So a lot of uh, mostly like process control that doesn't rely on, on servo motion, you don't necessarily need that high of a, I, I want to say like a, of a latency, and so you can't fully appreciate the high speed protocols that are, or at least like of what we're capable of today. And I'll make the comment also um, that. Uh, Again, seeing something of that nature and going through those challenges is really, really fascinating, right? And being able to see how that affects your real system, uh, again, as you mentioned on the on the servo side, maybe on uh, very high speed motion, I think it presents very critical challenges uh, that are difficult to solve. And and I think maybe you're you're painting it as it was easy to deploy, you know, we figured it out. But in reality, I, I think very few people. Uh, in the world, I want to say, I uh, can deal with that. Well, and, and that's just the thing, right? Our industry is full of these niche challenges where you don't really think about it until you bang your head right straight against it and then you realize that you have to do something different. Um, you know, safety is another one of those topics. You look at the safety, the functional safety revolution of like the 90s where we finally got our stuff together. And as an industry, we were able to start talking about what it means to analyze a system and, and call it safe. You know, just like I said, what is real time, how, how real time is deterministic, whatever, whatever, whatever. Safety is the same thing. And we're at the same point with cybersecurity as well. And I would make again, like a comment and lead that uh, to a question, but I I've had several conversations on the security slash IT side, you know, and they would tell me we're looking to get data about our systems in real time. And then I not knowingly what real time meant for them asked for clarification. And they told me like, well, every 30 seconds, we want to be able to get the status of the system. Right. And that's where I understood there's a bit of a difference, you know, when you say real time on the yeah. IT side versus OT. And so, uh, obviously, like once you understand those nuances, it, it gets to easier conversations. But I wanted, to, I guess, like before we dive into those those topics, I wanted to go back to like your experience and what 
what made you want to shift on the cybersecurity side? What was the, the trigger? Was there a moment that you thought like, hey, like this is really interesting. I would like to maybe pursue something with the Steam. What were the thoughts at the time? Um, well, I was at a point in my career where I had really figured out, I mean, really figured out what was going on with Profinet. That was, that was, I'm not going to say it was easy, but it was something I was very comfortable with. And I personally uh, always look for a steep learning curve. I always, I, I love being a beginner. I love being thrown into something and looking around and kind of going, oh my gosh, what can I do with this? Uh, and whenever the opportunity for cybersecurity came up, it seemed like, you know, here's, here's a real big learning curve. Uh, I, I, for most of my life, I've run away from really what I would consider to be poorly understood topics. Like biology has always scared me. I, I took a biology class in, in college and I said, this is not for me. I would much rather sit through um, electromagnetics where we're going over like the six laws of electromagnetics that somebody figured out back in the 1700s, because at least this is a solved problem. I can understand this There's a framework for it. Biology, we're just throwing random names at stuff and hoping that I remember the Krebs cycle. Um, cybersecurity though, seemed like an opportunity for me to kind of turn that around because here's a developing topic. Uh, I work for one of the largest automation companies in the world. Uh, you can't say Siemens and cybersecurity without saying Stuxnet at some point, like here is an opportunity for me to actually put my feet on the ground and learn. And that's why I made the jump. And let me ask you as a follow-up to that, before I also let uh, Dave jump in maybe with a question, what was the learning curve like, right? So I, I think, again, uh, I've mentioned this a couple of times in our conversations. I've certainly not had any, you know, like advanced training in cybersecurity. So I'm always wondering in, uh, in you know, in your case, was there like a specific way to get you up to speed? Did you have to read uh, manuals on your own? What was that like to learn sort of the cybersecurity space really quickly? Um, so there are a number of groups out there that teach uh, IT-based cybersecurity principles. And they also now have OT-based programs as well. So if you want to learn quickly, uh, what I did was I was able to attend a class from the SANS Institute, S-A-N-S. And the SANS Institute uh, has a class on... Um, Industrial Control System Cybersecurity, which is a really, really great bridge class. If you know OT, but you don't know IT, that's a really good way to, to stick your nose into the topic and, and figure it out with a lot of help. And then from there, I was able to take more of the traditional IT-focused cybersecurity courses um, for penetration testing, for exploit development, for reverse engineering malware. Um, because there are a lot of people in this industry that have come from the IT side where it, this has been established practice for 20, 30 years already. And if you come with that strong OT background and you're willing to throw yourself into it, and instead of understanding how TIA portal works, uh, understand how Active Directory works, then you can actually get oriented and move along pretty darn quickly. That makes sense. Dave? Thoughts, comments? 
Absolutely. So I'm, I I realized you set me up to steal your number one question every time we talk to a cybersecurity oh, person, God. Vlad, is, is Kyle, would you recommend and suggest people go take these courses? Generally, generally Vlad likes to go hammer people on uh, cybersecurity certifications, but you mentioned that you took these classes and were able to kind of ramp up to speed. Uh, is that kind of your suggestion and recommendation for people who are looking to get into cybersecurity, uh, at least with the caveat of assuming that someone's company or organization is going to pay for these courses? Yeah, uh, SANS thinks very highly of their curriculum and they charge accordingly. Mm -hmm. um, but if you need somebody, it, whenever it comes to an OT cybersecurity specialist, it's darn near impossible to buy the right skill sets on the open market. It is almost impossible mm -hmm. to hire this person. It's a unicorn. Yes. And so if you need somebody to do OT cybersecurity and you're not able to hire them, the best thing to do is to find somebody who's got aptitude and interest and come through the SANS curriculum. And of course, there are lots of other vendors out there that sell these kinds of training. I'm not saying that SANS is the only vendor, uh, but in my experience, whenever I took the class, I was very impressed and very, very happy with how quickly it pushed me along that steep learning curve. Absolutely. No, I, I think that, that that is good. Um, I, I think we've had a number of people mention SANS. I think we've had a number of people say that they've gone through the SANS curricula. I feel like we've only with the sometimes most some people are saying it's expensive. I feel like we've only had positive comments as to the actual courses and the, the learning abilities that people have had as as they've gone through it. Uh, kind of maybe shifting a little bit more to, to the practical. Uh, so you've got this kind of networking, you've got this OT background, you, you have gone through, you've, you've gained a bunch of knowledge and you are I'll say kind of on the forefront of, of helping the continuing developing of this OT cybersecurity. Um, what sort of conversations are, are you having with customers? Uh, yeah, what sort of what sort of conversations are you having with customers and vendors as we go through IT convergence? Right, I would say m many people would agree mm -hmm. that we are either in convergence or past convergence, or we are forced, the, the, the convergence is, is forcibly upon us. Uh, that causes a bunch of cybersecurity issues and risks, and, and we need to, to mitigate or accept these risks. So, so what sort of conversations are you having with everyone about, about probably a variety of fairly uncomfortable topics? Dave, way to set me up. This is my favorite soapbox. Um, Okay, the conversations, and you're exactly right, Dave, whenever you said cybersecurity is a problem and you got to figure out what to do about it, and you're kind of limited in what you can do, right? You can, if you're sitting as a vendor or, a, sorry, rather as an owner operator, and you've got stuff in place, you know, you can either treat the risk that you've, uh, you know, found in your systems, you can try to make it somebody else's problem. Right. You can do that with contracts. You can do that maybe with an insurance policy. Or the hardest thing you can do is figure out how to live with it. And we're at a point right now where as we talk within the industry, you know, as a vendor or an integrator or an owner operator, we're not we're not picking those options carefully. Right now, cybersecurity between 
companies between those three entities, the owner operators, the, the integrators and the vendors, it's still at the financial controller level. Mm-hmm. It's still at the board level, the C-suite, because the board and the C-suite's got a lot of pressure on them to show that they're exercising a duty of care or their due diligence to meet requirements associated with maybe a cyber insurance policy. Mm-hmm. On the financial side, you know, a, a, a CFO, their entire job is to mitigate risk. That's it. That like point stop. Um, and so the financial folks are talking about cybersecurity and cyber risk, and they're doing that with governance, risk, and compliance apparatus within cybersecurity. And that's something that has been brought over from IT, right? 30 years of, 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 of history there. But whenever it comes down to OT itself, you can't really transfer risk in a contract very well. The only thing to do about it is to start looking at treatment options. And that happens inside specifications. And as an industry, we're not good at communicating what we want for cybersecurity controls in our specifications. I think in the last four years, I have seen one really good system specification for cybersecurity uh, from a customer that was actually tendered as part of the bid. Mm-hmm. It's really important that it goes out as part of the bid because otherwise, whenever somebody bids on the work and they say, hey, cybersecurity is great. Can you just sell me some of that? I'll say, yeah, sure. We'll sell you some of that. What's the first thing that gets axed? All that cybersecurity stuff. Um, so the story is uh, at the high levels, business to business, we're talking about cybersecurity. We're talking about risk. Whenever it comes down to purchasing, maybe at the financial level, maybe at the plant manager level, we're talking about trying to do some kind of risk mitigation or risk treatment. But at the operational level, we're not very good at saying, here's what I need to feel secure. And we're also not very good at saying, this much security is good enough and I really don't need anything more. We don't know where we stand. Let me, let me ask a follow-up on, on the operational side. What should, what, what, I guess, what should we be asking for or what should the conversations, what conversations should we be having to understand what we actually need? All right. Well, this is going to take us to a discussion on boundaries and I think we're going to go there a little bit later. Um, but whenever you're looking at what you need to be secure, there's this tendency to try to start with what I call checkbox security. Mm-hmm. Can you approach a vendor and say, is your solution certified according to IEC 62443-3-3? Or um, a, a big favorite of mine, are you compliant with the NIST cybersecurity framework? That's a big red flag. And it's a big red flag because you cannot be compliant with the cybersecurity framework. It's a framework. It's an, it's a way of understanding things. It's a model and all models are wrong. It tells you right in the first page of the document, you can't do that. So, but that's yeah, one thing to, that we see. Sorry to interrupt. Is, is the question, I want, I want the listeners maybe to be clear, is the question in itself a red flag or is it to say that you're compliant well, yeah. with this red flag or, or both maybe? No, the, the question's the red flag. Okay. If, if, as a, if a customer approaches me and they say, dear vendor, can you please tell me that you are compliant with the cybersecurity framework or that your product is compliant or that your solution is compliant? Mm-hmm. There is no way to do that. The question doesn't even make sense. Um, 
But this all falls under checkbox security, and that's where we see people go to first. The next step is to actually understand what it is they're trying to protect, what the impacts are, and then figure out how to reduce the likelihood of those impacts. And that takes a much deeper effort. And that's where you start to see products like a cybersecurity system specification come out that has to be appended to all bids to talk about critical security controls that customers want to see put into their systems. Things like identity and account management, logging, um, basic cryptographic mechanisms and functions, uh, support for updates. Um, support for updates is actually a really, really big topic, uh, especially because whenever you approach an integrator, they may not want to sell a support contract, but yet you're going to end up with PLCs and HMIs sitting on your factory floor that all have to be updated in order to incorporate these security features. Uh, so all of that has to be considered. Yeah, I was going to comment. I, I like that point. And, and I like the fact that, you know, it's getting more and more practical, but maybe if we can um, take it to the basics, right? Like how do you even audit, let's say you have a manufacturing facility, right? You want to assess before we start to discuss maybe potential solutions, how do you audit and understand a system and what it's, I, I want to call it maturity level is at before we even create a plan of where we would like to go? What what could be maybe like a starting point, right? So a, a manufacturing plant of a, of a midsize calls you tomorrow, Kyle, and asks you like, hey, we would like you to come on site, take a look at our equipment, maybe talk to some of the people at mm -hmm. the management level. What would what would be some of the starting points and key areas that you would assess? Um, going into it cold, it, there are a number of frameworks to help you with a cybersecurity audit. IEC 62443, which is a huge standard. IEC 62443 actually has a definition uh, of an audit or an assessment program. And it would start by understanding what controls the business already has in place for what they deem are critical risks. Uh, is it a business continuity plan? Right. I, I would hope that everyone's got one of those. Maybe the business continuity plan is if something bad happens, we just throw our hands up and that's it. But you can start by understanding their current risk management. Start by doing a walk down. Um, don't look at you know design documentation. Instead, walk the floor, talk to the operators, figure out where they're hitting e-stops. Look for those little sticky notes that have passwords written on them. Look for the smart cards that are permanently installed in systems. Um, you know, that, that walk down can take quite a long time. And if the customer is really involved with it, it's great because then you end up blowing the dust off of cabinets and opening them up and trying to figure out what's blinking inside. And you start to get an idea of how the whole system's maintained. If you walk into a facility in the first hour, Whenever you look at those cabinets, you can understand how these things are maintained. If you see wires everywhere, if you see Panduit covers off, if you see, you know, IO modules just hanging by a wiring harness, but still somehow blinking and working, <laughs> you understand there's probably not a lot of budget for cybersecurity here. Um, but, and that's the first thing is to understand what controls they have from the management side and then understand how they're being run and operated on the factory floor 
And then you start talking to folks and building out the rest of that whole assessment procedure. And that's, that's honestly a whole nother conversation right there. And I guess as a, as a follow-up to that, and you mentioned, you know, a couple of frameworks that can help you get started on that path. And I've, I certainly don't claim to have expertise of them, but I want to get your maybe like kind of advice on the next steps, right? So you've, you've done an assessment, you have an understanding of where we're at. Um, maybe there is concern. I don't know to what extent there's budget to implement all of this. But my assumption is that the IEC 62443, as well as the NIST framework in a different way, can provide you with steps of what are some of the starting points or maybe where Mm -hmm. we have like most deficiencies. Like, could you explain a little bit what the frameworks are and kind of like what those Mm -hmm. steps look like so that we could, you know, create a, I'm assuming, and again, I I want you to chime in on this as well. We can create like a five-year plan or maybe a two-year plan of, you know, where we would like to go and kind of what's going to take place in, in that time frame. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, so right off the bat, uh, you can start with, with some assessment tasks, but the NIST cybersecurity framework is the easiest spot to get your foot in the door with cybersecurity. You know, whenever I started with cybersecurity, the first thing I wanted to do was I wanted to just like go to Google and type, uh, how to do cybersecurity. And what you get back are these like lists of top 10 configuration guides. Maybe if you're lucky, you find the top 20 secure coding guidelines for PLCs, but you don't really have a framework to put it in. And then this cybersecurity framework is a concise, uh, I think maybe 50 page max document. And that's with the appendices to help you understand what you kind of need to set up in order to get a security program moving. The cool thing about it is that it leaves a lot of room for interpretation. So whenever you read it, you can say, you know, I've got something kind of like that. We've got a quality management department, right? That might have some procedures like this. Our financial controller may have some idea about amortization or depreciation of assets. You know, maybe we have to keep that SMT line on the floor for another 20 years to pay it off. You know, that's important to protect. So you start getting an idea of what's really important to you. But as you're going through the cybersecurity framework, you'll quickly find that it doesn't have enough details to tell you exactly what's needed. And that's where you pivot to specifications and standards. So if you're working with the IT department, they assuredly have an information management security system, which is probably based on IEC 27001. Uh, 27,001 is a great standard, but it kind of breaks whenever it comes down to uh, our OT topics. So you might say, I can pick up IEC 62443. Well, 62443 is great because it's also got, you know, your your vendor perspective on cybersecurity, your integrator perspective on cybersecurity, and your owner-operator perspective on cybersecurity. And it helps us figure out how to all talk to each other. Or maybe you're doing business with the government. And in order to do business with the government, you have to adhere to a whole series of standards called FIPS, uh, the Federal Information Protection System. I don't know. But FIPS uh, has its own set of rules and regulations. There are also the NIST SP800 series. So maybe you've got a NIST SP853 information management system, and you would pick up NIST SP882 for your OT system. But all of that comes together 
after you've got that basic understanding of what you're trying to do. And that's the cybersecurity framework. Interesting. And I, I do want to make a note also because I'm going to have to review a lot of these documents <laughs> to be better prepared. But if you are listening to us, not in, in video form, I'm certainly posting the links both on LinkedIn and YouTube, but also it will be posted in the show notes if you're if you're listening to this in, in podcast form. But I, Kyle, I, I certainly appreciate that. I, I think there's a lot of information that goes into these frameworks and I think it's an excellent starting point. I can imagine that you could spend an entire career you know, just going through these frameworks, understanding what goes into them and implementing these solutions for end users, right? There, there's a lot of, um, how to say it, like meat on the bone, so to speak, uh, when it comes to these best practices. And, and, you know, there's certainly a lot of room for interpretation or to figure out what works best for a given organization. Everyone's got a slightly different um, community that they're working within, within their company. And so it helps to be able to code switch or speak different languages uh, and be able to pick these things up as needed uh, to fill the, to fill in the blanks that are existing. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, it's certainly a challenge that I'm seeing more and more because, again, I think those experts are difficult to find. But I also think that more and more organizations are realizing that there needs to be a budget on the cybersecurity side after seeing some of the I want to say ransomware attacks and whatever happened mm. in the last couple of years. I think the budgets have certainly increased. I think we've seen a lot of companies in the cybersecurity space, not all, not specifically on the OT side alone, uh, grow tremendously, right, in the last two years. And I think the trend is on, only going to continue as, again, and I want to discuss this as well, we're going to be bringing up a lot of new infrastructure. Uh, I've talked to Dave many times. I think that whenever we have a device that's able to connect to the network, we probably should be connecting it to the network. We probably should be getting some sort of data from it. And a lot of times today, right in 2023, it's going to be also connecting to the cloud, potentially collecting that data. So I think we're slowly making that transition. And my point is that we need to be investing a lot more in securing the OT infrastructure data, whatever that may be. So I certainly appreciate that. Dave, any, any thoughts, maybe any comments you've been. I do. Uh, one, thank you, Kyle. Vlad now has more than enough uh, reading material for the next, I don't know, one and a half lifetimes. I don't know how you're going to follow that up with a book recommendation later, but, but thank you. It was perhaps the most impressive listing uh, of all of those particular uh, topics. And uh, I really hope I got the numbers right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, almost no one listening to this, We'll know uh, unless Vlad goes and posts uh, corrected links. Uh, it was the, the confidence was absolutely impressive. I, I guess uh, on my side, uh, more on the like the practicality side, right? So we, we've got a bunch of guidelines, the, the NIST guidelines, kind of all of that, very good. Who, as we go through this ITOT convergence, who are you seeing kind of put in charge of it? Is it a IT person who, in theory, mm. understands cybersecurity? who is like, okay, now I've got to go figure out all of these protocols and everything else. Is it an OT person who understands maybe the OT, maybe the OT network and kind of get, gets thrust into it? Is it no one? I guess, I guess, who are you seeing currently? And then maybe as a follow-up to that, 
what does the what does the perspective what does the what does the best person into the future maybe five years look like to actually go deploy cybersecurity on site? Oh boy, I mean this is this is it, right? This is the IT OT convergence point right here. Um, let's start with things that I have never seen. I don't think that I have ever seen an OT department actively try to bring in IT to make things better. Uh, in general, the OT folks are sitting there going, please, please no, please no, please let us do our things. On the IT side, they've been doing the cybersecurity thing for 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And they're sitting there and they're looking at a whole bucket of risk that nobody understands. And they are just afraid of what's going to happen. And you know, it's difficult being in manufacturing and getting budget, whether it's money or time, for improvements, because it all comes right off of, you know, your production, right? It's even worse being in IT. I have a ton of respect and empathy for our colleagues on the IT side of this, because they have been downsized, right-sized, outsourced continuously to the point where they are almost a, uh, they're almost a, 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 a completely replaceable function. You can drop one IT managed service provider and bring in another one with little disruption to the business. But the problem is they don't understand what the heck the business does. And that's where the OT side comes in. So whenever you talk about the IT OT convergence, you really need to have uh, strong support from senior management who is able to go to the IT department and say, this is something you must invest in. Because otherwise the OT side of things is just a strange user who's putting weird demands on an overstressed department that's already underfunded. On the OT side, we have to figure out how to work with IT because you know I, I can't tell you how many times the shadow IT topic has actually been what's running production. How many times have you guys gone into a factory and seen some weird little doodad, maybe it's an edge device, maybe it's something else, sitting there attached to a GSM module? Or somebody's uh, brought in a DSL line and they've done an ethernet drop down there on the floor and all of a sudden you've got this strange device directly connected to the internet because the authenticating proxy that IT provided wasn't able to accommodate it. On the OT side, there has to be patience and understanding to make our needs really clear to the IT department because usually they're a managed service provider. They're doing this for hundreds of companies and yours is now something that doesn't fit the mold. I don't know. That was long-winded. Did I get anywhere close to an answer? I, I I like that. I I don't think that there is. I don't think that there is a, a good answer, right? I think it's difficult. And I want to talk about shadow IT because I, I think it's a it's a dangerous topic. But uh, but that's the only sort of thing that we do here on manufacturing. Hub. But first, we uh, we we have some people to thank. Uh, so we'd like to thank Siemens for sponsoring the ITOT. Uh, data within a factory as well.
OT and IT are off in two different worlds and incompletely connected. This. Kind of all the support within the community and, uh, and gifting us Kyle to continue the conversation on shadow IT. Now, this is not the first conversation we've had about shadow IT. I think my one of my most favorite, and maybe Vlad will remember the guest, uh, brought up the topic of, of secret computers, right? The, the, these are there are computers that IT doesn't know about and they can't know about because they sit in a back room somewhere. They're, they're probably someone's 25-year-old laptop that, that is literally only running because the dust inside of them uh, does not let them uh, does not let them stop. And they're, they're up there and they're running and IT can't get there to, to run a Windows update. So it makes it both completely and horrifically insecure, but it also allows them to run production be, because uh, of, of all these different reasons. Uh, so Kyle, Let's go have, have a shadow IT conversation. Um, and and kind of to, to answer your question, uh, I think the answer is far too many. Um, maybe not the majority, but certainly far too many facilities do I, like do am I actively seeing, uh, actively seeing things like you almost trip over the cable or, or you open a door in a cabinet and you're like, oh, that shouldn't be there, but I'm going to close it because I'm not going to be the person who uh, who brings up the why is there why is there a laptop laptop here uh, running in the cabinet sort of conversation, but uh, but, but please I, I'd love to have a conversation about what, what you've seen and and maybe we'll uh, we'll even let Vlad come in with a couple of horror stories. Oh man, okay, so I think it, one of the more interesting ones was uh, a site that shall remain nameless, of course, that had oh, yeah. uh, all of these. Yeah, uh, a site that had a um, epoxy line, a potting line that was connected to their wireless network and their wireless network had some authentication weaknesses that would allow somebody in the parking lot to start mixing epoxy and dumping it on the floor. Oh no. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, 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 um, it, it's, it's like just that prime example of, you know, it didn't support us. So we're going to go ahead and just do this on our own. I, I think another example would be a sysadmin that has somehow survived rounds of budget cuts and layoffs and, has kind of retreated into the shadows that's able to actually make things work. They know how the systems work. Somehow they still have admin credentials. Um, they're able to magic things into existence and production loves them. So what do they do? They go to this person to make things happen. And whenever this person makes things happen, they don't necessarily do things like consider risk or execute any kind of paperwork or give any kind of visibility. And so you end up with that 25 year old laptop sitting in the server room open with the little sticky note with the password right on top of it. Um, somehow 
acting as the bridge between SAP and whatever they're running as the MES. If that laptop goes down, the plant shuts down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it, it, it really runs the gamut, but it's always the same root cause. It's always the, you know, we tried to reach out to somebody and they couldn't support us. So we just figured out how to do it on our own because it was cheaper and faster. And how do we bridge that gap, right? Like, and again, as Dave said, I don't think we have the answers, but I, you know, I'm curious looking at the industry today, right? And what I'm certainly seeing is a lot more automation. As I mentioned, there's a lot more devices coming onto the production floor. I think the response from the OT side, having been myself traditionally there, is we're going to take care of everything on our side. You know, we want a firewall set up upstream, but as you said, you know, it's whatever gets us there faster, quicker. And the OT departments don't all have, I want to say, like adequate cybersecurity training to understand those risks, right? So they will sort of isolate themselves, create whatever infrastructure they can create, manage that side of things. And I don't know if it takes a person that will come in and kind of knows both sides of, of the fence to kind of reconcile the departments and sort of maybe train the OT a little bit better on what's going on and maybe explain how... OT needs mm. to run to IT. Like I'm just, I'm wondering like what you're seeing as the potential solution or, or at least some thoughts on, on the topic. Yeah. So, so the potential solution always starts with somebody in senior management who sits over IT and OT who gets fed up. And once that person is a cybersecurity champion, what they'll do is they'll sit down with IT and OT. And their first question is, am I cyber secure? Will the colonial pipeline situation happen to me? And if they can't get a coherent answer out of both their IT and OT, they tell them to go figure it out. And that's where the cross training happens because on the OT side, we need risk governance and control from IT. We need to bring that in. On the IT side, they have to understand that we have availability as our top priority at all times. We don't make money unless stuff leaves loading dock. And if we can't keep that going, there's no reason to invest in this. Mm -hmm. So on the IT side, what I'll typically see is the conversation starts with, here are the 500 things that we've been doing for compliance with ISO 27001. You need to go do all of them. And on the OT side, the first reaction is, go get bent. We're still trying to keep this machine running. Um, we're lucky that we don't have operators that are just, you know, jumping over the, the safety relay just to keep this thing going. Uh, so there has to be some prioritization. And that's where the OT team starts to say, what's most important? And they talk to the IT folks. And the IT folks might say an asset inventory, right? Understand what you're running understand what each one of those robots has inside it, understand maybe what those AGVs are actually doing. Um, maybe you've got some, uh, some inventory control system over here. Maybe you've got burner management or whatever it is. Get an asset inventory and even better, an asset management system. Don't just do this inventory once. Set up a system to look at your networks and understand what's on it. Um, and then from there, it can go in a couple of different directions. Uh, but whenever the, they start talking 
these are the things that happen where there's that initial, like, what the hell are you asking me for? Or from the IT side, what the hell are you knuckleheads doing out there that's causing so much risk? Um, and then we learn from each other and, and keep developing. I could go on for that one for a while. Well, let me ask you, like, again, like on the maybe on the personnel side, do you think that we have enough experts to and I guess like experts time and money to be able to adequately assess that situation and be able to maybe put some of those systems in place? Or I guess in my opinion, our how to say like appetite for automation is growing quicker than the amount of people we can train to intelligently work on those systems. And I'm not sure that how to say it, we can remedy that right and, and so what i mean by that is we're, we're deploying so many systems on the network and it becomes like a a self-perpetrating wheel of we want to get this done quicker and even quicker and so we're going to put more and more stuff and we never stop to think about the risks and so what are your thoughts like maybe on managing that side even when the the management decides like hey we need to figure out what's really going on is there enough of a pool of candidates who can go and get that done no, of course not. Um, okay. But the good news is, is you don't have to be an expert to get started. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the big things, one of the scary things about cybersecurity, I, and I had the same experience myself, is that you don't want to even touch it with a 10-foot pole unless you feel like you're an absolute expert. Sure. You know, same thing with, with safety, right? Nobody wants to get involved on a safety project unless they've got certifications and blessings and the Pope has told them that they are absolved of all sins. <laughs> um, but on cybersecurity, uh, the good news is that whenever you look at the cybersecurity framework, there are five stages of going through you know, uh, a cybersecurity incident. You know, you've got to be able to identify it. You've got to be able to figure out what to do about it. You actually got to do the things. But at the end of the NIST cybersecurity framework, there are a couple of key phases called recovery and respond. And what the good news is for us as automation engineers is that we should be doing that in any case. We should understand how to respond to a cybersecurity incident. We don't need to be able to quantify risk. We do need some idea of impact because we've got to figure out how to pick up the pieces once things break. And that can be as easy as running backups on your systems, exercising those backups. A lot of people check the box. Oh yeah, we've backed up that PLC config. Cool. Have you tried actually deploying that to see what happens? It's the third um, shift uh, mechanic, you know, that, that's, that's got a laptop at home with all the backups. Right. Yeah. But see, that's exactly it. We already know how to do that. We already know that problem. This is not some strange foreign language. You got to learn how to speak. Start with the stuff that's well aligned with what you're already doing. Dave, what do you think? I uh, I would agree. Um, I would agree. I, I'm I'm laughing. I'm laughing at the backups conversation because uh, you you can't go very far uh, and talk to a person who has spent very much time in this industry with. Uh, without everyone having, I don't know, one or, or 20 stories about backups that, that should have been backed up and then either weren't or they were backed up, but then you go to, to run the backup and there's nothing on it or or any, any of those conversations. Um, 
any of those conversations. And I think uh, I think all of this is really good. I think all of it is important. I, I generally agree with uh, with kind of everything that, that Kyle is saying, and I appreciate <laughs> how you're giving us kind of very straightforward things that things that almost anyone could do, uh, given the the constraints that, uh, that that all of us face on a all of us face on a a daily basis. Um, uh, we, we are we are somehow already getting close to we're somehow already getting close to an hour, Kyle. So I, I want to kind of like like flip the script a little bit, right? And I will I guess I want to ask what should we be asking or talking about cybersecurity? Like, like so, Vlad and I are obviously not experts. Which now that I've said this, I can promise I have now said on every single cybersecurity conversation. So sometimes we don't know all, all of the questions to ask. So what should we be asking you, or or, or what should kind of the, the general public be asking their, their cybersecurity folks while they are there on site? Well, you know, you've asked a couple of the really, really good questions already, right? So we've talked about how to get started with the cybersecurity program. We've talked about relevant frameworks and standards. We've talked about the ITOT convergence. We've talked about, um, well, geez, I'm, I'm sure you've probably got more hours talking about this than I do right <laughs> now. But what we really haven't talked about is boundaries, okay. right? Whenever you think about edge computing or cloud computing or moving data off the plant floor and moving it out, there's this idea that there's cybersecurity risk associated with it. And if done poorly, there certainly can be. Um, but what the edge transition really is going to mean on the OT side is that we have to put a little bit more care and thought into how we connect these network devices. You know, we've traditionally built really open networks. Profinet, for instance, is designed to be the Swiss army knife that connects all things to all things on the, the production network, right? And now we're moving away from that idea and we're thinking, oh, well, we really don't need to be able to talk to 50 field IO devices at the same time. We really only want to be able to talk to one thing. And so whenever you're looking at placing edge devices on a network, that kind of goes hand in hand with having a conversation, maybe with IT, about a demilitarized zone, about putting controls in place on who can access the device or where it speaks to, uh, how it's communicating to the cloud. And none of that is rocket science. None of that is hard. But you have to start that conversation, and it may be the first one you've had like that. And that in itself is difficult. There are no technical problems in cybersecurity for OT. It'll, OT runs 20 years behind IT in any case, right? We're always picking up the leftovers from the IT colleagues. Um, but those conversations, how we work together, how the teams are built, how we understand each other's problems, those are all things that we're learning for the first time here. I really like that. I Again, I resonate with a lot of what you're saying, and I've certainly been part of many difficult conversations. Again, I've typically been on the OT side, but I'm starting to realize more and more how to say it, how to better, I want to choose my words so that we could have a better system in place and work with IT in, in a much, I guess, symbiotic way would be the word that I could put it. Um, but I, I think there still will be challenges, right? Like I, I think that there's still 
needs to be some education on both sides. I think it's important, maybe if you're a small manufacturer to large manufacturer, consider sending at least a few folks from both sides. But I would say primarily like on the OT side to, you know, the classes that you've mentioned so that they could at least get a, a better understanding of what it takes to like secure the systems, I want to say, but also to appreciate maybe the the time it takes to get it done. Because I, I think, again, as you've mentioned, we're a little bit anxious on the OT side to just keep things moving and we don't fully take the time to do it right and get frustrated, right, for better or for worse when we're given, a, yeah. hey, this is going to take a little bit of time, let us look into it, let's do it properly and we just um, throw a rogue device on the guest network. But um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's Anyone- really interesting. <laughs> Network segmentation and network uh, asset management, like actually separating, teasing those assets apart and mm-hmm. developing like a DMZ, that is really hard. That's involved effort um, because there's a lot of risk. We've spent a lot of time building these interconnected networks where we just slap something onto a free ethernet port and say, that's good enough. And it takes a lot of time, years, to tease these networks apart. And in the meantime, you've got every cybersecurity vendor in the world out there trying to sell a silver bullet to your C-suite. The message that they're getting is, oh my goodness, if you just spend money on this system from us, we can take care of all of your governance risk and compliance needs and make you more secure. Meanwhile, on the OT side, you're sitting there going, that doesn't help me if I've got WannaCry that breaks out of my HMIs again. So put the effort into those, those initiatives you're talking about, Vlad, and then make management understand that this does take time and this does take investment. And I want to bring this back maybe to the comment you've made around biology, right? So I, I think that cybersecurity maybe is a bit of a mystery or the whole IT environment for people in OT. And I, again, I certainly reson- resonate with this because I think it's a lot more, not necessarily ambiguous, but I guess the practices that you put in place are not necessarily binary, right? Like you're not either like protected or unprotected. It's more you want to create barriers that will get breached if the riot attacker comes along, but you want to create that sort of higher barrier to entry, so to speak. So I think that's maybe one of the things that on the OT side, I want to send data from A to B, and I know when it's there, right? Like I'm happy that my PLC talks to my HMI, my operator can operate it, but I'm not as comfortable with the idea that we are putting defenses in place that are vaguely defined and don't necessarily, how to say, like there is risk involved. So I think like those conversations, in my opinion, need to be brought in a lot more uh, on the OT side so that people understand what exactly we're executing, what exactly we're working towards and sort of what are, as you said, like the breaking points or maybe the limits uh, and kind of the responsibilities of each team as we implement them as well. Man, I don't know if you're listening to the audio of this, um, you can't see it, but I'm nodding vigorously as Vlad's talking um, because that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly the point. We are so used to working on a production line where it works or it doesn't. Product ships or it doesn't. And cybersecurity is one of these things where, yeah, we bring along a lot of processes that we're used to. Um, maybe you're used to looking at risk through the idea of... Uh, um, you know, a a machine or a life safety risk or an operating risk. But those are all based on physical phenomenon. If you do a failure modes analysis for a safety application, 
those are all based on physical phenomenon that dictate when mechanisms fail. And cybersecurity comes along and we use the same words and we use them in kind of the same way, but all of a sudden you've lost that mathematical grounding. And you can't really say something's secure. You can only say that it's more secure. And we have to get used to that uncertainty. It's uncomfortable. Dave, what are your thoughts? I I like the parallelism, Vlad. You should try to to, to draw parallelisms uh, for, for all of our guests. I, I, I like that a lot. A lot. I, I appreciate Kyle's uh, comments about uh, uncertainty. I guess so, Kyle. As, as as we've had this conversation, right? We, we've talked about how many of these issues that we're now facing have been solved 20 years ago in the IT realm, right? We, we've talked about how IT could be great. Uh, could be great partners and i'll be very candid you know some of the best partners i've had while deploying systems were it folks mostly in kind of small to medium organizations because they just uh, the network was theirs right if if we could all agree that this should go on the network we can go put it on a network and then the network was theirs and there was very little to be worried about uh beyond that we've also mentioned how many of the it groups have been dwindled down to, to little or, or nothing and have gone to managed services. Would having, I guess, in your opinion, is, is having in-house IT for manufacturing groups, for owner operators, is that valuable to have that knowledge and those skills in-house to be able to go have that protection and, and work amongst the, the IT, OT groups to make sure that things are where they mm. need to be and are mm-hmm. as secure as possible? Double-edged sword. Um, you know, if you are running a small shop and you can't afford like a five person or a six person IT department, mm-hmm. uh, a managed service provider may be the right way to go. Mm-hmm. If you are a larger operation and you've got your own in-house IT that can actually work around the clock and work with production, um, that may be a much better choice, but it really depends on the org, on on who invests in governance, um, and it's an organizational topic. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, no, I, th- I think th- this this has been uh, this has been amazing, and I think it kind of leads to the next question. Uh, questions that, that we like to, to ask everyone. I guess Kyle, uh, we, we want to go ask you to predict the future. We're going to put you on the spot. It's one of my favorite questions to ask the guests because it it always makes our guests at least slightly uncomfortable, which is how how we want to uh, to talk about ending this. So uh, I'd, I'd love to know uh, your prediction of, of the future. Uh, kind of w- with that cybersecurity lens, uh, assuming most of these groups are are either going through ITOT convergence or ITOT convergence is, is fairly inevitable. Okay, here's the deal. Uh, and I will bet a month's wages on this. You guys can come look me up in like okay. five years if this doesn't happen. Um, the Colonial Pipeline hack was a clarifying moment for a lot of people in OT cybersecurity. Because what happened was Congress drug the CEO of Colonial Pipeline in front of them, and the CEO had to brief Congress on the cybersecurity incident and their subsequent response. And if you haven't watched it, you should go watch it. It's amazing. Whoever briefed the CEO did an amazing job. But there's a tipping point coming in cybersecurity. 
Uh, we're going to continue to see financial controllers talking to financial people. We're going to continue to see lawyers talking to lawyers, but we're not going to see a lot of investment in robust cybersecurity practices for OT until there is clear, uh, let's say, consequence to senior management if they're found to be lacking in their OT cybersecurity programs. Until we see more incidents where a Colonial Pipeline CEO gets drug in front of Congress, or until there's legal liability attached to something or board members are, are, are held accountable for failures in governance. Uh, we're going to continue to see piecemeal implementation of cybersecurity because there's no regulatory framework in the United States that's capable of forcing massive change, quite like insurance and legal requirements. Uh, so that's where we're going to go. We're going to continue to bumble along. And there will be piecemeal improvements in different sectors with different businesses and with different size organizations until there's that clarifying moment. And once that happens, once we, once we reach that tipping point, once people really understand that OT cybersecurity is everybody's problem and we have to spend the money on it now, until that happens, we're going to continue this, this state that we're in. I think that's a very reasonable, uh, I, I feel like th that is a very reasonable prediction uh, based upon everything that, that we all see. Uh, Telling me that I didn't walk facilities. out far enough on the plank for you there? I mean, you, you did, but I, I, it's it's probably about as far as anyone's going to uh, to, to bet while both employed and uh, and betting a month's wages. So um, I, I would say that, uh, that that is a very reasonable reasonable prediction. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Kyle. Uh, next up, uh, we'd love listening to, uh, to book recommendations. I know that you gave us a bunch of different, uh, very technical readings that I'm sure Vlad's going to spend the rest of the night and the rest of the, the, the month going through. So, so thank you for that, Kyle. Do you have, uh, do you have another recommendation, perhaps something a little less dense? A little less dense. Um, all right. So I have a favorite author and, in high school, my aunt gave me one of these books, and I started reading this 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 guy's entire library. Uh, the author is Terry Pratchett. And if somebody's interested in understanding how the human mind works, uh, this guy uses comedy and uh, a little bit of um, sci-fi fantasy to make fun of society. Uh, Terry Pratchett does a really great job of that. He's got a series of novels called the Discworld series. I strongly recommend uh, that anybody who wants a good giggle goes out and gets a book called Guards Guards. Um, there are a number of others, uh, Witches Abroad or Equal Rights are, are very popular. But Terry Pratchett has a very precise and humorous view, kind of like Scott Adams, you know, with Dilbert, on how people work and why it's funny. <laughs> and it's 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 helped me tremendously understand where I stand in cybersecurity because the technical problems solve themselves. The people problems are the ones that are sticky. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Thank you both for that recommendation. Uh, the 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 hard skills, the technical parts are absolutely much easier than the soft skills and and, and the people parts. Uh, I think most people uh, could could benefit from uh, for, from a little bit more uh, insight into the human psyche. So thank you for that, Kyle. Uh, now we like asking for some career advice. I know you gave us some, some advice on certifications and, and classes. 
But I guess from, from the perspective of someone coming from the, the technical side, be it the engineering side or otherwise on the OT side, looking to get into cybersecurity at this point in, in 2023, what are what is kind of your general recommendation for people who are interested in, I guess, learning more and or starting to make the jump? Well, on the OT side specifically, mm-hmm. uh, I, I have seen people try to move into OT cybersecurity roles with uh, what I would call a commodity cybersecurity degree from some accredited institution. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, those cybersecurity degrees are based around how to use cybersecurity tools, uh, mm-hmm. how to, to work within a security operations center, but they don't translate well into a production environment. For career advice within our field, um, if you're just starting out, don't be afraid to get a little time as an operator. Hitting an e-stop every day is great practice. Um, If you have an opportunity to understand how a line works, work with a foreman, all that, it's fantastic background. Um, Don't be afraid to to really sink your teeth into a topic. a lot of what we do can be viewed as witchcraft or black magic, uh, and it's absolutely not. Don't be afraid to pick up an IEC standard and start reading it. Uh, but whenever it comes to the education part, it's really self-developed. Uh, find supportive management, and that may not be in production. That may be in finance. That may be in engineering. That may be in a lot of different parts of the company. But if you can find a champion, who sees the value in cybersecurity and is willing to cut free with $8,000 or whatever the SANS training is nowadays. Um, That's the best way to get your career moving in cybersecurity and OT. Uh, There are a lot of companies out there right now that are hiring for experts, but you have to show that you're able to walk through a factory and talk to operators and talk to managers and actually understand where they're coming from to have a Mm -hmm. conversation. Absolutely. I think that, uh, that that is amazing advice. Uh, th- thank you very much for that, Kyle. And then last question is, is who should reach out to you? Uh, th- this has been amazing. You've given us so many uh, amazing pieces of advice. And, and as I've said, Vlad, days of his life of, of reading, he, he will be an expert on all you, of these standards. You don't even, like, so listen, IST standards are a world of their own. And the ones that I rattled off are huge. Vlad will never get done with it. I promise. Oh, I'm not done with it. That that sounds like a challenge. And if anyone knows Vlad, they know that Vlad loves challenge. And Vlad, uh, it doesn't count if you skim them. <laughs> Don't no, just but... go read the annex. Don't go read the <laughs> annex. You have to read the whole document. See, I'm, um, I'm a big fan of executive summaries, especially if they're a half page or less. But 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 th- that that is just me personally. But but no. Sorry, what, what was your question? I was going to say, uh, who, who should reach out to you? Who do you want to connect with? Are you looking to talk to other people uh, within the industry? Is, is Siemens hiring? Are you guys looking uh, for, for customers? Kind of, kind of, and you know, how can our community help you? Well, I mean, okay. So first of all, to, to speak to Siemens, and I'm not speaking for Siemens. This is, of course, just me, Kyle McMillan saying this. But if there's a dollar in it, we'll figure out how to do it. Um, but if you have questions about maybe your own facility's cybersecurity or how to get started on a cybersecurity journey, if you have questions about career advice, uh, if you want to say, Kyle, I think you were just blowing a lot of smoke. Uh, here's what I see. 
I'm very, very happy to talk to you about it. Uh, I do occasionally monitor the PLC subreddit. Uh, there's occasionally a good cybersecurity conversation in there too. Uh, but yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. Find me at a conference. I'm six foot two, got red hair. Uh, you can't miss me. Amazing. I was going to ask, which conferences can we find you? Uh, are you going to um, Hanover, Messi this year? Anything else that we can... Uh, Hanover's can not confirmed. You? Yeah, it's it's not likely that I'll be at Hanover. I am going to the S4 cybersecurity okay. conference um, in just a couple of weeks. Uh, that's an amazing industrial control system cybersecurity conference. I recommend anybody who's interested in the field take a look at it. Uh, I'm also an active member of the ICS Joint Working Group that's sponsored through CISA. Um, it's, a, it's a great way to get to know people in the industry in a pretty low-impact environment. A uh, couple more conferences that we're involved in. Uh, there's the ICS conference down in Atlanta in October. Uh, we do have one of my colleagues is going to be going to RSA and hanging out there. Um, we're around. Yeah, it's not that there's yeah. some kind of a hackathon conference. No, in, in Vegas, usually around like August, September timeframe, that's been recommended a couple of times. Hackathon? DEFCON and Black Hat? DEFCON. DEFCON. Yeah. Defcon. I'll listen. I'll go to DEFCON if Siemens pays for it. I will go to Black Hat because it's a really good time. So, no, 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 <laughs> the other way. The other way. We can edit that out. This isn't live, is it? Um, <laughs> in any case, um, Black Hat is a very commercial conference, mm -hmm. and DEF CON is a very personal conference. DEF CON is, is actually where I've got a lot of friends, uh, whether they're from the government, from other commercial vendors, from integrators. Uh, we all get a chance to literally take off the collared shirts, sit down, uh, and talk about what's really bugging us in cybersecurity. It's an amazing group, and anybody should come check out the ICS Village. It's also in Vegas in the middle of August, but you stay inside, so it's not that bad. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Kyle. Um, amazing. No, thank, thank you, Kyle, and, and thank you, everyone, for, for coming and hanging out with us. This has been the first of kind of a month-long worth of ITOT convergence conversations, and, and as I said at the beginning, I could not imagine a better way to kick off than kicking off with cybersecurity because we should generally always lead with, with cybersecurity. Uh, so thank you for <laughs> Siemens. To, uh, thank you again for Siemens for sponsoring this. If you guys have made it this far in podcast format, please go rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and and Audible and all of those places you can do it and throw us a follow so that uh, the podcast gets downloaded into your earbuds every Thursday at whenever point in time we were able to go ahead and hit publish on the podcast. If you guys are watching us live uh, or recorded, thank you again for hanging out. Please follow us along on Solos PLC. Uh, please follow along Manufacturing Hub on LinkedIn as well as Kyle, myself, and Vlad. And stay tuned for, for all of the updates. Until next week, we'll see everyone soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone.